debt forgiveness for businesses under the Paycheck Protection Program, what's allowed, what's not allowed, and what you should know. Allison Baker of Venable provides some insights. I'm Lawrence Coletti, and this is Legal Talk Today. Thank you for joining us, Allison. How are things going in Washington, D.C.? They're going relatively well. Thanks for asking, Lawrence. I hope you're doing well as well. Uh, thank you for asking. Yes, we're doing well over here, and I'm, I'm glad things are going well in our nation's capital. So, Allison, uh, you all at Venable uh, put on this complimentary webinar relating to the Paycheck Protection Program, which has been evolving since its inception when the CARES Act was signed into law on, May, on March 27th. So, more specifically, in your webinar, you all talked about the loan forgiveness component that's built into that program, the rules, what's forgiven, what's not. And you also shared some of those new clarifications that have been provided over time. So, Allison, where I'd like to start is just a quick brief little recap on the Paycheck Protection Program, what it is, and what businesses qualify for it. Absolutely happy to do that. So the Paycheck Protection Program is Title I of the CARES Act, which was signed into law on March 27th. And what the Paycheck Protection Program, Title I of the CARES Act does, is it allows for small businesses to receive a loan that is equal to two and a half times their average monthly payroll. And that loan, in turn, can be converted into a grant, provided that certain parameters are met and certain permissible expenses are shown and made using those loan proceeds. Specifically, the eligible businesses are those businesses with 500 or fewer employees or, in some other instances, businesses that otherwise qualify subject to certain exceptions that are written into the CARES Act. So the Paycheck Protection Program, the lending proceeds become a grant at some point. And so that gives special definition to forgiveness versus non-forgiveness. So can you walk us through the meaning of that? Absolutely. So the, the thing that makes this loan so appealing to so many different borrowers, as everyone has read, this program was enormously popular when it was announced in, in late March. Essentially, what's contemplated is that over the course of a period of time, whether it's eight weeks or now 24 weeks, the borrower is able to spend loan proceeds on four categories of permissible expenses, payroll, rent, utilities, or mortgage interest. Number two, the other requirement is that you spend at least 60% of the loan proceeds for which you seek forgiveness on payroll costs. And put another way, no more than 40% on mortgage interest, rent, and utilities. And it's provided you can show that you've done that, and then you make an application for forgiveness to your lender, in most cases a bank, and that lender in turn has 60 days to review your application with the SBA and to make a decision about what, if any part of your loan is going to be forgiven. And then you presumably have your loan forgiven, assuming that you show the requisite paperwork to your bank and a determination is made that your loan is eligible for forgiveness. And as I understand it, there's a timeline. So let's say that you're using these proceeds under the permissible uses, and there's a certain period of time that you can use that within. And what, what is that for the, uh, the utilizers of this particular program? Last week, the Paycheck Protection Program Flexibility Act was signed into law. And what that did is it extended out the forgiveness timeline, which originally had been eight weeks and is now up to 24 weeks, or I should say is 24 weeks. So now if you have a loan and you took that loan out before last week, you can opt to either have the eight-week timeline be the operative timeline for your forgiveness look back, or 
you can opt to have a 24-week timeline be the operative timeline for the forgiveness look back. And the way that works is it's eight weeks counting from the date that the loan is funded or 24 weeks counting from the date that the loan is funded. And that eight-week time period or that 24-week time period is the operative timeline that during which time you have to use the loan proceeds a certain way to have them eligible to be forgiven and functionally have the loan converted into all or or at least some of the loan converted into a grant. Allison, you, you were discussing some of the ratios uh, in particular to pay or overall costs had to be so much dedicated to payroll costs. But what are some of the other ratios that play into determining whether something that was spent is a forgivable, permissible expense? So there's, there's one operative ratio. It's 60-40. It was previously, before the Paycheck Protection Program Flexibility Act was passed last week, it was 75-25. And the way it works is this. At least 60% of the loan proceeds for which you seek forgiveness have to be used on payroll. Payroll means salary. It also means other components of compensation, including health insurance, life insurance, other types of insurance that you might pay your employees or as part of your employees' compensation. And then the other 40%, so no more than 40% of the total loan proceeds can be used on mortgage interest, rent, and utilities. All of the obligations around rent, mortgage interest, and utilities have to have been incurred before February 15th, 2020. And as I understand it, as time has passed with the Paycheck Protection Program, there's been some further clarifications when it comes to contract workers, but also workers that reside outside of the United States. Yes. So the payroll, that's a great question. So the payroll that you use the loan proceeds for has to be used in connection with making payroll for employees who reside and work within the United States. And there's one more thing I want to add in terms of permissible costs. When you talk about rent, you can use the rent payments that you make on real property as well as non-real property in connection with the eligible expenses. So for example, if you're leasing office equipment and that's a lease that you incurred an obligation that you incurred before February 15th, that would be part of what you could use the payroll proceeds for. One of the things that Congress had envisioned when the Paycheck Protection Program was enacted was that uh, over the course of flattening the curve, so the the big nationwide shutdown, you know, state by state, obviously, but as companies were, were shutting down to try to flatten the curve, it was envisioned that there would be a lot of workers uh, displaced or going on furlough or maybe even losing their jobs. But And to incentivize business owners to keep everything running, they, they enacted this uh, paycheck support to try to help people uh, keep the business is afloat so they can maintain their workforce. And so as such, there has been the allotment under forgivable expense to allow employers the flexibility to furlough their employees and also uh, to, uh, reduce some of their salary, trying to make ends meet to keep the business floating. And so can you tell us about the benefits of rehiring and repairing reductions in payroll? Absolutely. So there's four parts to the forgiveness component as it relates to payroll. The way it works is you look at the total number of full-time employees, the average monthly full-time employees that you have during the operative eight-week time period or 24-week time period. You compare that average monthly full-time employees number that your business has to one of two time periods, either the time period that between February 15th, 2019 and June 30th, 2019, or between January 1 and February 29th, 2020. So you can select one of those time periods and one of those time periods becomes the point of comparison as it relates to the total number of full-time employees that you have 
either during the first eight weeks when you have that loan or the first 24 weeks when you have that loan. If you have fewer employees during the operative time period when you have the loan, as compared against one of those time periods in either 2019, those five months, or the two months at the beginning of 2020, then there's four things you can think about. Number one, you can make up that difference by rehiring those employees so that the delta between the eight-week or 24-week time period and one of those timelines is, in terms of numbers of employees is the same. Number two, if you've reduced employees' compensation by more than 25%, you can make that difference up and not have your forgiveness amount deducted. Number three, if you can't, for some reason, rehire all of the employees who you were forced to furlough, you can make that showing, assuming you're able to do one of two things. You're able to say, look, I tried to rehire these employees and they wouldn't come because they found another job or for some other reason, and I wasn't able to find their replacement. And you can do that provided that the reason you laid them off in the first place was due to the pandemic and that layoff occurred between February 15th, 2020 and April 26, 2020. Now, the fourth issue is if something happens and you really can't ramp your operations back up to their prior levels because of the pandemic, and you can show that the reason you can't ramp your operations back up is because of the CDC guidance or the OSHA guidance that's been issued around social distancing, for example, and you can make that showing, then that too will be part of an explanation as to why the total amount of forgiveness shouldn't be deducted. In other words, you won't get dinged, so to speak, for not having rehired all of your employees. Early in the program, the proceeds got gobbled up pretty quickly under the Paycheck Protection Program, under the CARES Act. A lot of businesses of some large size were uh, jumping into the program. And so in reaction to that, Congress looked at the matters. They were concerned that the that the budget that was allocated for it got gobbled up much too quickly. And so now Secretary Mnuchin has put forth a $2 million audit that's related to some good faith certification. So can you just briefly walk us through that and then also explain what employers need to keep track of to make those good faith certification arguments. Absolutely. So frequently asked question number 31, which was guidance that the Treasury Department issued, basically said, look, if you're taking this loan, you better be able to show that you need this loan because of economic uncertainty and that you don't have other sources of liquidity readily available to you as a company, that you don't have access to large capital markets, that you don't have other sources of money that you could just as easily tap in lieu of this loan. And you need to make a good faith certification, which is a functionally statement under oath. Now that good faith certification, frequently asked question number 31, was really an amplification of what the law said. All the laws, all the statute said is you need to do a good faith certification that due to economic uncertainty, you need this loan. So FAQ 31 was in response to the fact that there was the sense that large businesses with access to capital markets because they're publicly traded were taking these loans, notwithstanding the fact that they maybe didn't need them. That was the perception and that was what animated uh, FAQ 31. Now, a few weeks later, frequently asked question number 46 came out. And essentially what that said is, and that was part of the guidance that the Treasury Department and uh, SBA issued, essentially what that said is, okay, Notwithstanding FAQ 31, if you did take a loan and you took a loan for less than $2 million, we're going to presume that you've done so in good faith, meaning that you had an economic basis to do it. And if you took a loan for more than $2 million, you are going to be audited by the SBA. But even if the SBA finds that it doesn't agree with the economic rationale that you're providing for why you took the loan, no harm, no foul. You'll have to repay the loan and give it back but you won't otherwise be referred for an enforcement action by the SBA. 
So that's the good faith certification and kind of the hullabaloo that went on around it at the outset. And then a lot of the kind of language that was used around it got walked back when it seemed to be the case that a lot of businesses were no longer taking these loans and then laying folks off because they didn't take the loan. If there's a business owner out there that uh, realizes that they're not going to be able to pay these proceeds back, their their business has just been too heavily impacted and they're they're thinking right now, I better get this out of the way. I want to be able to move forward as we start to reopen. So if they're out there, they want to seek loan forgiveness. Uh, where do they need to go and what do they need to show? Go back to your lender, ask them for a forgiveness application, complete the forgiveness application, have documentation that shows number one, how the loan proceeds have been used. If you segregated them in a bank account, then all of the ways that the loan proceeds were used from that segregated bank account, or if you did not, simply be able to show through bank statements that you used the money on the permissible expenses. Number two, to the extent you made it, used it to make payroll as, you, as is required, you would want to show your payroll logs and proof that you actually made payroll payments to your employees during the operative time or that you otherwise incurred those payroll expenses. Number three, to the extent that you're using some of this loan proceed money for mortgage interest for pre-existing mortgage obligation, you'll need paperwork to show that. Number four, same thing for rent, whether it's real property or non-real property, you'll need to show paperwork that shows that you made payments for your rent obligations, maybe a copy of your lease. And then number five, same thing for utilities. To the extent you use some of this money to make utility payments, you're going to need to show that you made those payments and that you, in fact, incurred an obligation to make those payments. So some kind of bill or something. You submit those to your bank and then your bank will in turn make a decision about whether you're eligible for forgiveness. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Allison. If our listeners, they want to follow up regarding the Paycheck Protection Program or possibly they might need some assistance with an audit, how can they find you? Thank you for asking. I'm Allison Baker. I'm chair of Venable's uh, Financial Services Practice in Washington, D.C. My email is abaker at venable, V-E-N-A-B-L-E dot com. And my phone number is 202-344-4708. Thank you, Lawrence. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in. If you like what you heard, please rate us in your favorite podcasting app. In addition to citing our sources for this episode, including Venable's complimentary webinar, we're going to add some links from our other episodes covering the CARES Act and the Paycheck Protection Program in the show notes. This has been Legal Talk Today. I'm Lawrence Coletti. Have a great day, everybody. (laughs) 